Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. This is a pitch about photography or a new art exhibition opening. But is it about more than that? And what is that thing? And how do we tell that part of the story? Because that, really, as I've come to learn, is what interests our audience. The style section can be so much more than just light features about the arts or fashion. It can be a lens through which your audience can view the issues of the day in order to gain a deeper understanding. I'm Michael O'Connell. Welcome to It's All Journalism. Fiona Sinclair Scott is the global editor for CNN Style, where she oversees the network's international coverage for arts, design, fashion, beauty, and luxury. The Alliance for Women in Media recently presented Fiona and CNN Style team with a Gracie Award for the Best Information Slash Entertainment website. Fiona, congratulations and welcome to It's All Journalism. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So let's start with the Gracie Award. What does that mean for your team and for you? I mean, it was a huge honor, obviously. I don't think journalists get into journalism to win awards, but they're really nice when they come our way. Well, they sure hand out a lot of awards to journalists, but anyway, go on. <laughs> no, but it was, I mean, it was a, it was a huge honor. Um, I think it's just also really great to be recognized by an organization that's focusing on championing women in particular. And it really is, you know, just such a credit to the team, you know, and it's interesting, people often think that there are more of us working behind the scenes on CNN style than there are. We're actually a really, really tiny team. And so this sort of recognition, I think, is just such a tribute to the work that everyone does and the real sort of above and beyond spirit, I think, that everyone working on style has. A small team and, you know, being a global editor, that means your beat is the world. So it's not like you you have a small area to cover or a particular one focus. But when you think back, you know, in the old newspaper days, the idea of the style section, this is where the women's news was. This is where the quote unquote non-serious news is. So when you sort of approach that, do you think about your audience being primarily women? It's funny. No. <laughs> is, is, <laughs> That's cool. Is the answer there, which is why it was kind of funny to be recognized by the Gracie was, of course, you know, I lead the this, this section and we, we do cater to women, but I wouldn't say that, you know, our coverage is, is focused heavily on servicing women in particular, but we have some really strong women working on the team and we do some really strong storytelling when it comes to women's issues. But really, when you look at our audience, when you break it down, it's almost a 50-50 split in terms of gender. So I think that's probably something that's quite surprising maybe to people coming to style for the first time, because of course, as you say, when you think about style, you think of women's stuff. <laughs> and that really is perhaps not the best definition of what we do at CNN Style. So, you know, you were talking about the different types of stories that you, you do that, you know, obviously have a wider appeal than, than just women. You know, the style team was recognized, it was also recognized recently for Hyphenated, which examined the complex issue of identity among minority groups in America. How did that project come about? Yeah, it's a, just a fantastic series. And actually, I think we were going to try and get Steffi Chung, 
Miss Asia editor on the show. Yeah, like she had a baby. Or yeah, something, right? she had to take care of a very small issue of going off to have a baby. <laughs> but she, so just to, to sort of give you a bit of the sort of origin story there. So Steffi Chung is a Styles Asia editor. She's normally based in Hong Kong and she is on maternity leave at the moment. But this is really her brainchild. And she, you know, she came to me with an idea nearly a year ago now and we greenlit it and she worked really hard um, to produce and commission this series um, and launched it in April and then went into labor two weeks later. (laughs) So um, it's really just in terms of just that turnaround in itself, you know, just incredibly impressive. It was a deeply personal project for Steffi. She's Asian American. And we decided to launch Hyphenated with a particular focus on the Asian American experience. So yeah, I mean, the way that it sort of came about is she came to me um, very clearly with an idea for the series and, and you know, was, was very straight with me and said, the anti-Asian sentiment and violence that we're seeing in America right now is really worrying. It's getting worse and the media isn't covering it in the way that it should do. And we need to do something about it. That was essentially, you know, the motivating factor for the series. And so, you know, we greenlit it and she produced a suite of stories that really looks at what it is like to be Asian American in America today and historically through the lens of style and culture, which really speaks to just how how we tell stories in a much broader level, I think. And I had a chance to go through the, the stories in Hyphenated, and it was really kind of fascinating, the story choice, but then also, you know, how they sort of held together and you know, revealed certain things about Americans' perception of Asian people, Asian Americans. The one long story that I really liked was the one about the uh, Chinese-American beauty pageant, which, you know, on the face of it, you're like, well, why, why are they writing about this? This doesn't seem like something that, you know, is usually impactful. You know, it's an interesting curiosity, but, you know, you know, you read it and then you read some of the other stories and they begin to understand, okay, this is how one part of our culture is has been classified and this is the way that they are viewed by many people. And it's great to have this opportunity to, you know, address these issues. You know, and this is one of the things I like about, you know, is going through the style section last night and poking around and and looking at the different stories and things. Tell me about your approach. You know, what do you, you say you have a small staff, obviously you have a reporter in Hong Kong, you probably have reporters all over the world. What is it you're looking for and how do you approach stories as a style editor? So, I mean, just to give you a sense of the team, there's myself, global editor based in London. Then you have Steffi Chun, who is Asia editor, who's on maternity leave based in Hong Kong. Oscar Holland is our, normally he is our main staff writer, also based in Hong Kong, but he has stepped up into Steffi's very big shoes to be acting Asia editor while she's on maternity leave. And then we have more or less two freelance writers who contribute to us regularly who are sort of you know doing shifts and then beyond that it's contributors who we commission and who pitch our stories and who we work with on a very ad hoc basis so it really is (laughs) a tiny team it's three staffers 
just to put it into context for you. And so, yeah, as you pointed out, you know, it's a global remit. It's a really broad subject spread. And so we have to think very carefully about how to commission and produce the stories that we tell. The North Star for us is a kind of tagline that we started using internally and now we've become a little bit more open about just you know, using it publicly too, but it's our mission statement, which is we put culture in context. And really what that means is, you know, our mission is to help our audience make sense of the world around them through the lens of visual culture, be it art, fashion, design, architecture, beauty. And so, you know, it's that that really informs a lot of the editorial decision-making, you know, on my end. I'm constantly thinking when looking at a story pitch, okay, this is a pitch about photography or a new art exhibition opening, but is it about more than that? And what is that thing? And how do we tell that part of the story? Because that really, as I've come to learn, is what interests our audience. We have to think about audience, particularly in a digital space. We're very data-driven and we really think carefully about what is gonna resonate with our audience based on the data that we're looking at every day. And I think the fact of the matter is your average CNN digital reader is not coming to CNN for a fashion story or an art story or a design story. They're coming for the news, politics, and a business story. And so my job over the last six years has been to think about how to engage that core audience in stories of style and culture. And that's really about, you know, kind of going, hey, listen, look, I know you don't care about design, but this isn't really about design. This is about something else. So it's about embracing, I think, intersectionalities. And I think it's about the interplay between subject areas. So we think about fashion and climate crisis. We think about beauty and identity, we think about art and representation, you know, and I think it's there, it's in those intersections where I think we do something that I hope people find to be, you know, somewhat unique and compelling. (laughs) It's kind of fascinating because, you know, in in sort of researching for this interview, I began to, to realize that culture, art, fashion, design, these are all, you know, a lot of these are, are reflective of what's going on in society. This is how these stories are, are sort of repurposed and brought back to people that, you know, this, you know, climate change or whatever, this is sort of affecting the, the creator and they are, you know, this is their message that they put out there, you know, reaching, reaching back and looking at some of your earlier stories. I found this one with this, this really intriguing headline, fashion's role in Cambridge Analytica's cyber warfare, according to Christopher Wiley. Tell me about that story, because I think this kind of encapsulates what we're talking about here. Yeah. And this is the thing. I mean, what I found so interesting about that story and about what Christopher Wiley, the Cambridge Analytica whistleblower, was trying to tell us is that, you know, in the wrong hands, fashion can be weaponized, (laughs) you know? And I think that for me was so fascinating to sort of understand how analysts at Cambridge Analytica, as Wiley told the story, 
were using fashion in particular as a key indicator of people's personalities, people's vulnerabilities, people's political leanings. And then they were, they were taking that, they were harvesting that data and then using it ultimately, again, as, as Wiley tells it, to target people on social media with political propaganda. You know, and what a way to talk about fashion <laughs> in that sense, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I loved that story and it was fun to report and mind boggling at that. It would also be, I think, kind of affirming to you and people who are covering that that part of society to say, see, fashion does matter. Fashion does affect things, but you could also use it for evil, I guess. Totally. I mean, yeah, it's a worrying tale of the power of fashion. And, you know, just on, on the sort of softer end of it, I think, you know, I often talk about, you know, the soft power potential of fashion, and we see it in the political landscape all the time. You look at the recent US presidential inauguration, we did a number of stories in and around that event, looking at the sort of symbolic gestures of fashion. And we do that throughout a lot of our of our fashion storytelling where we're really looking at color we're looking at you know something that seems so innocuous like a brooch that someone wears or a hat that someone wears and going okay on the face of it it's just a piece of clothing sure and you know to some people maybe it's silly to focus on you know what a politician is wearing but you know i think when handled well it can speak volumes, you know, I think what people choose to wear and how they choose to present themselves and the stories they tell through the clothes that they, you know, put on every morning is fascinating. I think back to a few years ago when the first lady wore a jacket that became the the mainstream news story, the, mm-hmm. the message that she was sending out there, despite the fact that she denied that it was I'm just putting a jacket on. The I don't care jacket. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> so it's like, Okay, mixed signals maybe. And then we saw the the new the new first lady Jill Biden. She wore a jacket during the G7 with a different message. It said "love" on the back of it, which got the same amount of attention. And again, it's just a really interesting example of the sort of power of fashion messaging, I guess. Yeah, and one of the people who during the inauguration that a lot of people focused on, or certain segments of the society focused on, was the stepdaughter of the vice president who was a, I guess, to use the term fashionista or a stylist in some sense. And so, you know, the message that that sends, who you run with, who you're seen with, I mean, certainly that's something that's in in politics. But something you were saying before got me thinking about the idea of beauty and the impact on society. And you think of something like the Kardashians or some of the television programs around that and the influence that that has on so many different things how people feel about themselves, how they perceive beauty. And a lot of people sort of dismiss looking at that type of stuff. But, you know, what are your thoughts about that? So we decided to launch a beauty subsection within CNN Style last year. We launched it in March last year, a week before we shut the London Bureau (laughs) due to the pandemic, which was lucky, I think, because, you know, I honestly think that we would have struggled to get it off the ground amid all of those sort of new challenges of remote working and and everything else that was sort of thrown at us that month. But we launched Beauty then. And for me, that was really about trying to think about beauty again in a very cultural way. So 
what you get when you go to the beauty section of, of style is not makeup tutorials and tips and tricks and product recommendations, which I love, you know, I'll say. But what we wanted to do was to reposition beauty in a way where we're using it like we do fashion or art or design as a way to think about some broader issues. And so for me, it's just, it is just so interesting to talk about and to think about and to understand why we all look the way that we do, what it means, what have been the societal influences there, and also, you know, in the ways that we choose to adapt our image, you know, be it makeup or the way we style our hair or, or even things that are maybe a little bit more extreme, you know, what does that say about us? You know, that push and pull, I think, between self-expression and striving for an ideal or a standard that society has set for us. That for me is really interesting. I should confess at this moment that I indeed have watched makeup tips on YouTube before because I like seeing processes. <laughs> I like to see the beginning, the middle end, how something changes. And I'm always fascinated looking to something I have no experience in and seeing how creative people do what they do, make the decisions as they're doing it, why they explain why they're, why they're doing it. The other thing is, you know, talking about beauty, I mean, as a subject matter, that's something that's rife for discussing the issues around, you know, body shaming and perception of women in our society and expectations of, of how people look, which is, you know, very different than, you know, the traditional idea of, of the fashion magazine, you know, what's the latest thing on the, on the runaway, but more about, you know, how is fashion incorporated in our society? Yeah. And I think there's been a significant shift, I think, in the conversation, even in sort of your more traditional fashion and beauty titles, the vogues of the world. You know, I think we've seen a recognition or a realization that, you know, the way that we were talking about fashion and beauty five, 10 years ago is just simply not relevant in today's world. And I think what we have been able to do is really lean into that you know CNN style in itself you know in its current form benefits in the sense that we're not a legacy brand you know we launched six years ago um, so I think we've always spoken about fashion and beauty and image making and the way that people think about their bodies in this way and so it comes quite natural I think to us, but it has been really interesting to watch the media overall start to shift and start to reposition the way that we talk about women in particular. It's really been a fascinating time, I think, to be working in this space because there is this change happening. There is this sort of reckoning, I think, within the fashion industry and within the beauty industry that, you know, things had to change and we weren't being you know, I don't think the industry as a whole was being particularly inclusive or welcoming or diverse in its attitudes and thinking and just makeup in terms of, you know, the people working within the industry. And you're seeing a lot of positive change, you know, but I think time will tell as to how lasting, you know, a lot of those changes and gestures will be. It's interesting because, you know, fashion or makeup or, or whatever that's, I mean, on the one hand, it's a style thing. It's a creativity thing. It's a perception thing, but it's also, I mean, it's also a big business as well. And, you know, there's that aspect of it. Usually I start the, these interviews out, you know, asking the guest about 
you know, their, their history as a journalist. And so we're a little far into it. But let me ask you, how'd you get interested in journalism? I've got two memories that stay with me when I think about what it is about the media and journalism that kind of first attracted me. The first is, so I, I'm from Scotland, technically. <laughs> I don't sound like I am, and I never lived there. I was actually born in Canada, but lived for the first 10 years of my life in Malaysia. And so I remember as a 10-year-old-ish girl standing in a newsagent in KL and just being fascinated by the magazines. And in particular, the magazines that were being imported from the UK and the US, because this was the 90s. You know, there was no Instagram. There weren't that many ways for me, you know, as a young girl to sort of access pop culture, I guess. And so, you know, I would stand in front of these magazines and they'd all be like three months old, you know, because by the time they got to Malaysia, you know, they'd be so out of date. But it was really my first way of accessing kind of American and British pop culture. And so I think that has ultimately, it must have influenced, you know, my decision making then when I went on to think about what I wanted to do career wise, because you know, it was just, it was something that I really needed, you know, and I think ultimately media and journalism is a service, you know, as a 10 year old, I thought that something clicked there and I realized the importance of, of media and magazines. And then I think the other thing is fast forward a few years and we were then as a family living in Chile and I was in high school and I had said I was thinking about maybe getting into journalism or maybe that's why I would go and study at university. And my mom said, oh, I have a friend who works for the BBC. I think she was do she was a correspondent and she was doing um, some work for the BBC at, at the time out of out of Chile. And she said, let me ask her if you can, you know, follow her for the day. And so I did. And I just found her job just so cool. And, and I think at that point, I, I really knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I said to her, how do I do this? And she said to me, and I hope this doesn't offend anyone listening, but she said to me, well, the one thing I would say is get a proper degree. Don't do a media studies degree. <laughs> because I was thinking, I was going down the immediate, well, I'll go and study journalism, I'll go and study media. Um, and she said, absolutely not, don't do that. Um, get a proper degree, she said. And I'm <laughs> not sure exactly what she meant by a proper degree, but I ended up doing a political science degree and then went and did, you know, the 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 media, you know, the journalism master's degree later down the line. And that was kind of my entry point in that sense, I guess. Yeah, well, that's, that's not a particularly unusual story to a lot of journalists about, you know, how they started their careers. You know, there are people like myself who went into journalism, went into journalism school. But, you know, my, my experience as an editor is that some of the best journalists that I've ever worked with are people who came out of college. They didn't know what they wanted to do and, and they had studied something completely different or maybe they even had started a career path. And they said, you know, I, what I like to do was lose like when I was writing those papers in, in college, maybe I can do something like that. Yeah, there are all types of, and we've had a fair share of guests who've said they knew they were going to be journalists at nine years old and were creating, you know, newspapers uh, <laughs> in their bedroom. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a wide range. But you say that when you were young, you were looking at magazines. Were these fashion magazines? I mean, did you have a sense of, I want to go do journalism, but 
also style? Yeah, they were they were fashion magazines. They were pop culture magazines. They were um, they were magazines targeting a sort of young, I guess, teenage girl. And I think that must have influenced me in some way. I mean, I do remember, obviously, Malaysia politically, I mean, religiously conservative country. Um, and a lot of what I was looking at, a lot of the magazines were kind of um, marked out. They'd been kind of, there were bits that they had censored. <laughs> so I couldn't quite work out in some cases what I was looking at. And I was too young to really understand, I think, the whole censorship idea. So I was sort of holding magazines up to the light, trying to figure out what I wasn't allowed to see and why I wasn't allowed to see it. Um, which I think has just popped into my head and I think is really interesting. But no, I mean, in terms of what was it about or how did I get into style space? I think for me, it's really, it's a little bit broader than that. It's about, it was about culture. And I see fashion and style as just a key pillar um, of culture. But I did, before I went to CNN, I was working for a fashion magazine. Um, I was working for ID magazine, which is the fashion title that Vice bought a good few years ago now. So I was working in an environment that was where the focus very much was fashion. And so to go from that to CNN was quite the culture shock um, because it was a completely different audience, a completely different, you know, office working environment. And I went from working in a, for a title where, you know, fashion and culture were the sort of the main meal to working for a major global news organization where fashion and culture was, you know, if we're lucky, the dessert. <laughs> and, and that was a really interesting transition. So one of the things that we've sort of been talking about here is this, you know, looking at news stories through the fashion lens. Part of what we do with, the po with this podcast is we try to you know, talk about how people who are, you know, early stages of their career who see, see the, like the work that you're doing, you know, what would you say to them as far as they want to write the types of stories that, that you write or cover? What would you say to them? I would say, in my opinion, the key to really strong culture feature writing is you need to bring with you a bag of references you know you need to be able to connect dots and find similarities and liken things that you're seeing now to things that you might have seen somewhere else in a completely different space so I think read books watch movies stay on top of you know what's happening broadly in culture and also you know stay on top of the news read the news because there are so many cultural angles in the news every day, as, as I think we demonstrate. So I think it's about not trying to be too hyper-focused too soon. You know, don't just read the fashion magazines. Don't just become an expert in which designer works for which brands. And, you know, try and just broaden your horizons a little bit, even if it is ultimately fashion that you want to, want to get into. I think if you have the ability to talk about fashion, and climate crisis and you know inclusion and diversity and you know power and representation in the same breath referencing real issues happening right now then i think that's going to make you a much stronger fashion writer or fashion journalist than if you're just too heavily focused on 
the sort of insider look at the fashion industry. I think if that's your game, then then go and work for a B2B publication, a, a trade title. But I think if you want to talk about fashion, you know, at a, at a title or on a platform like CNN, then I think you need to be able to talk about it in much broader terms. And something that gives context to it. And it's just sort of an example. You know, if you look at your, your Twitter feed, for example, you're not retweeting things about fashion necessarily there's there's a lot of political and newsy news stories that you're that you're retweeting so you know to your point you can't just hyper focus on on the topic you have to figure out how this is in the context of things if you want to write about art yes study your art history but also read a newspaper you know it's kind of this <laughs> it's kind of it's trying to be a, a sort of well-rounded person in that sense you know i think that would be my my main advice to anyone just starting out yeah th- that's going to be the headline digital journalists tells young people to read newspapers uh, <laughs> so back to print this is all about you know, your efforts to get us back to print um <laughs> i'm gonna get in trouble for that one yeah <laughs> I've been talking to Fiona Sinclair Scott, the global editor for CNN Style. Fiona, thanks for being on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Capre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Steph Thomas is our social media manager. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.